Sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Nerds Who Live podcast. On this episode, Miss Amberdon and I sit down with Dr. Jordan Shallow, aka the Muscle Doc, and founder of Prescript, and as well of the podcast, another podcast which is a great one to check out, RX Radio. So Jordan has the moniker the Muscle Doc because he actually is a doctor of chiropractic, as well as a very accomplished powerlifter. Uh, originally training under Mr. Dan Green himself at Boss Barbell. And um, the man is a monster in both, you know, brain and brawn. Uh, it was a blast to chat with him. And, you know, I mean, fuck. The guy is just a wealth of knowledge. And his approach to training as well as preventative, um, honestly, just knowledge, you know, injury and really just – you know, athletic performance as a whole is, uh, I think, something special. Uh, Miss Amber Dawn is actually in the pre-script uh, program currently, um, which is, you know, um, what one of the things that Jordan helped uh, develop along with his partner. Um, and it's basically a program to make better coaches. Um, and just from talking to him, honestly, it's one of the best things uh, on the market. And if you are a coach or an athlete, especially a coach and you're trying a trainer and you're trying to be better. Um, I really do believe that prescript is going to be one of the highest uh, level of quality information you can get. And uh, we were really lucky to have him on the show. I'm really lucky that Amber reached out to him and it was a blast. I just could listen to him talk and rant the whole time. And he's a Canadian boy also, even though he did his schooling here in Cali, as well as he trained over at boss up North in Northern Cali. But he is such a hockey boy, and I fucking love it. Um, and you'll hear it slip out throughout the interview. So, um, again, just another one of the great bangers of the guests that we've been lining up and shooting down. I've been very lucky this season around to have Amber's help with that. So, without any further ado, on this episode, Dr. Short, bleh, fuck me, got excited. Dr. Jordan Shallow of... Prescript, RX Radio, the muscle doc himself on the Nerds Who Live podcast. Good? All right, yes. good. Hey, man, how are you? Hey, what's going on, dude? How's it going? Doing well. I'm Nicholas, by the way. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. Well, you're, in, you're in California? I am, Ventura, California. Oh, here. sorry to hear that. <laughs> great place to stop and get gas. It, it, is. It, is, it is a good I mean it's a cute beach town says the guy from Windsor Ontario hey it's got heart all right I don't want to hear it I, was gonna say, I like, mean if you want to get stabbed yes are you sure you stopped in Ventura Ventura's a cool little like beach town like it's a nice place to go, Dodd. No, I like I had to do I had to live in San Jose for like seven years, so everything oh. Yeah, San Jose is like the Windsor, Ontario of California. So that's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it is true. Yeah, now Ventura. Ventura is cool. It's you know it's a, it's it's its own little little uh, 
environment for sure. But I mean, I, I mostly grew up here. My family's from here, so I'm a local. Yeah, no, Cal California is great. Although I do have a gripe with California doing this really like very uh, postmodern shelter in place because they can't say self-isolation because they think everyone's going to kill themselves. Oh. <laughs> is this really? recording? Are we recording? Yeah, every other place <laughs> in the world calls it calls it self-isolation. But that uh -huh. they got together and had some little like PC panel and came up with shelter in place because it sounds less depressing because people in California couldn't hack it. Man, that's, they, they didn't get, we didn't get the message here because anything that we have posted like in the city, it says self-isolate. So really, all my friends in the Bay Area, it might, may, it might just be a Silicon Valley thing. Okay, there, the there, there's that bitch right there, Silicon Valley and Bay Area. That's their own fucking shit. It's the worst. <laughs> they suck, dude. Yeah. My so I had a client when I was in the Bay. Her husband, do you do you, do you play poker? I mean, I can play poker. <laughs> so there's like there's this guy. His name's Phil Helmuth. He's like this really popular poker player. Like he wins all the World Series and whatever. I trained his wife. Okay. And when Trump got elected, this lady, who would mind you, she was head of clinical psychiatry at Stanford University. When mm. Trump got elected, she didn't show up for three weeks. Wow. Because she was just so devastated. I'm like, do you know the tax break you just got? Like, are you joking me? She just couldn't bring herself to go outside for three weeks. I was like, I got to get out of here. This place is too much. Yeah. Yeah, man. That That's a, that's their own world. I mean, if you live there, you know, like, so like, Ventura, if you spend more time, so Ventura, the nickname here is Ventucky because it's, it, everyone here is a little bit more uh, country than they are California. So it's, it's a, even though it's a beach town, it's a weird dichotomy. We don't, yeah. we don't really fit the rest of the PC California trend. Yeah, there's some weird, like, there's some fly, like I've pretty much driven the whole, the whole state a handful of times. And there's like, almost like flyover cities. Yeah. Where it's like, you see like Confederate flags. You're like, what? Wait, wait a minute. That wasn't yeah. this South, was it? That's really strange. <laughs> yeah, Cal California country or California rednecks are a real thing. It's a, it's an interesting breed. Like Bakersfield, I have lots of friends in Bakersfield, Ooh. and uh, Bakersfield is a, is essentially like a little piece of like Texas that happened to be in California. That's yeah. the best way I can explain that. <laughs> cattle, cattle ranching and meth. Big, exactly. big, big. <laughs> exactly. Cal Ranch. Sounds like Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, like, 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 I mean, there, I mean, that's where, like, um, you know, like Merle Haggard and all those old, and uh, Buck Owens is a country, like, outlaw of country classics came from Bakersfield, California. So, like, there's history there in that. Area. But, I mean, enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is well, it is thank fun. you for coming on. We appreciate you being here, Jordan. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> Listen, at this point in this current landscape, if someone tells you they're too busy, they just don't like you. <laughs> like, yeah. flat out. <laughs> what <laughs> else? <laughs> it's true. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have time in my 24 hours at home to make for you because I don't. Yeah, I don't like you. That's yeah. true. So, you're, you're holed up in Australia right now, hey? Yeah. Uh, like eastern suburbs of Sydney, like Bondi Beach. Oh, okay. not a terrible place. Not a terrible place to be in lockdown. Yeah. I literally had a friend, uh, one of the guys I work for, uh, he's kind of like in the know and was like, 
like any advice that go somewhere you want to get stuck. So my sister lives in Queensland. My mom and dad are up. She just had her first kid like two weeks ago. My, my all my family's in Australia at the moment. So I was like, all right. So we just hopped on a plane and came here. Right. That's cool. And they kind of, they like closed the door behind us. Now, now we can't even leave. So yeah. worst things have happened. I was going to say, I got, I mean, yeah, uh, get stick, stuck in Australia. Not too bad. Too bad. Uh, as it is, but um, I mean, so what do you, uh, well, first off, like if you could give a little like background on yourself, I mean, you're the muscle doc, which is really cool for those of us who, you know, know your, <laughs> know a bit about you. It's kind of fun. You have that moniker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you live and die by the sword, don't you? Yikes. That's like having an email address that you put on a resume when you're like 18. You don't realize that it was like <laughs> skater boy 420 X and you're like, Oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm fucked. I'm not going to get a job. Uh, yeah um you want to dive right into it yeah by all means please oh like, so that whole yeah. that whole venture of rant is in there sweet yeah. i don't like people in california i don't like me anyway uh yeah so i oh, I, oh wow. uh, just a little like side note anyone who in from california who hears this will like you more just go on <laughs> okay. uh yeah so i'm uh I mean, the, the short version is I'm a chiropractor, strength and conditioning coach, uh, powerlifter, and have somehow been tossed into like what we'll call the education space in the fitness industry in the last three-ish years. I'm from Windsor, Ontario. I did my undergrad in Toronto. I went to grad school uh, in California. Uh, and then about two years ago, I was kind of getting contracted a lot to just do like small little speaking gigs. And that sort of evolved into me being uh, completely homeless and nomadic and so for the better part of the last 20 20 months almost two years I've been kind of traveling all over well, really the world at this point and just kind of talk about lifting weights and maybe how we could lift them better and longer and without getting hurt and maybe get a little bit stronger so that's that's kind of it in a nutshell I mean you, you kind of have my my dream position in that in that sense of being able to travel and talk about you know taking care of yourself and getting stronger but doing it you know better and more efficiently um i've liked seeing your stuff for for that it's, it's cool um my favorite things are like seminars and clinics and workshops um and i see that you put you know very similar things on and i think those environments where people learn the most you know like just those really distilled you know intimate environments i think that's really cool that you're able to do that so yeah, it's it's strange. Like, it's not what I went to school for by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's like I don't really practice in the conventional sense anymore. So I have this really I don't even know where it is. Like, I have some diploma somewhere. I should probably <laughs> track those down. They're they're hanging on a wall. I don't know. I'm sure my mom has them. They're like at her office or something. But uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like just evolved from just saying like yes to a lot of things and pretty much trying to create systems around my lifestyle and business that allow me to say yes to everything. Um, so in that, with that in mind, I've been able to kind of go some pretty cool places and talk to some pretty cool people and work with some pretty cool athletes and all that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. It's, 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 yeah. I've come to grips now with the fact that it's atypical because it seems, it seems semi-permanent now. Like there was a, there's a time in the beginning where it was kind of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to do this for a few months. Like when I started two years ago, I, I left California. I was like, you know, I don't want to say my life was falling apart in a bad way, but I had to leave California and I didn't really have a place to go. But I had a few seminars booked for like basically two months of travel. So it's like New York. And then I went to the Middle East, uh, as you do. Uh, and then I had some other stuff. Right. Naturally. 
uh, and then I had a month in Australia teaching and then I was like, okay, I'll just figure it out. So I packed up all my stuff and now it was always like, oh yeah, I'm just kind of doing this for, for the time being, but it's been kind of two years now. And it's like, oh, okay, this is this, I just do this now. This is, this is what I do. It's, Cause it's weird. Like I travel like a lot, like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I did September of last year, I did 28,000 miles in the air in 14 days, um, which is a full lap of the earth and then some. And, you know, like if you travel a lot, there's benefits to traveling a lot. Like if any of you ever gambled a lot, like there's benefits to gambling a lot. So like I'll be in like lounges and and I dress like this all the time, like four XL t-shirts and gym clothes. And I'll be in like a lounge for an airline. And I've literally asked people to like have me clear, like they've asked me to clear their table. I was like, oh, I don't, sorry. I don't work here. I don't uh, work I, here. I, I, I'm on the I'm on the red eye flight to Dubai. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be sitting next to you, but thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's it's become a bit of a novelty, but uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting lifestyle for sure. Yeah. What is um, what coming? Obviously, you said you know you kind of you had a few seminars books and you know for two months, and obviously you've continued on. What what are some of the things that you that I guess would you say looking back has become kind of your calling card for these seminars that you put on? Like, uh, inane uh, ranting is inane ranting a thing? <laughs> um, yes. I pro- yeah, I don't know. Like that's, it's probably that. That's kind of I think what gets out. Like, I think I have an interesting lens that I I I, I don't self-proclaim it to be interesting, but it's been described as such because I I came out of I always come at it from an athlete's perspective first. Like I played oh. hockey to like a decently high level before I got into lifting weights, and then um, got into powerlifting and was sort of like I mean. My powerlifting coach was arguably, he's my favorite powerlifter of all time, but he's arguably one of the best powerlifters of all time. And he was just my first patient I had in practice. Um, it was Dan so Green, I, I, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I learned how to powerlift from Dan Green. So this guy oh, yeah. walked into into my school to get treated by me when I was in, I don't know, I was 23, 24. And I was like, oh, this is a, he's big. For a land mammal, he's pretty big. Um, <laughs> so I, I started working with him and then I got to a decently high level in powerlifting quite quickly. Um, so I always come out the content that I talk about in, from an athlete's perspective first, which I think creates, uh, above all else, I think it creates empathy, which I think if you're trying to teach anyone anything, I think that's where you got to start is mm-hmm. you've got, you have to tear down biases and you have to not reteach them. And that's one thing I'm always like really adamant about is like, look, if you guys all have experience doing stuff that works and I say something that flies in the face of that, that's evidence you have you have a system that works go for it so I think rather than like I try not to, I try to teach like first principles rather than actually teaching like a concept or a system yeah. uh, it's like hey here's what your body does here's what I've seen it do wrong when you know shit happens um, here's how we might be able to avoid that shit happening uh, but I think really at the end of the day it's like when the blood pressure gets high and someone talks about oh I learned it from this YouTube guy like I did I did a, like a three and a half minute rant in Halifax and someone recorded it. And if it ever goes up on the internet, like I'm going to have to fight a YouTuber. Cause he's like, Oh, like so-and-so with the YouTube channel says this. And I knew, I knew who the guy is. I've actually had some confrontation with him via the internet. Uh, and I've been hoping to get confrontational with him in person. And <laughs> I was, so I just like went on a, I was like, who the, like, like show me, show me a credential, show me. Uh, I'm not going to see this is, this is how it starts. It builds. <laughs> And next thing you know, I'm like wiping spit off my computer screen. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it has to be at some point entertaining, right? Like the content I talk about is insanely dry. I think like I, I've been studying this stuff for like a decade and there's still times where I'm like, okay, I'm, this doesn't matter anymore. It's not applicable. Um, so I think that's become a, a part of it, like with the podcast and everything, like this just shows that like, at least, at least I care, I think to a certain degree, like if I rant about it, I've thought about it and I, it's kept me up at night and all that. But yeah, that's, that's become somewhat of a calling card, I think, which for better or for worse. Yeah. For the most part. And then, yeah, it's in your, you have the RX radio, which is your podcast. Um, and how long have you had that going? Oh, geez. So we're at... This week will be episode 161. So we've been pretty steady Monday, Wednesday releases for since 2016, November 2016, maybe around that time. Yeah, we've been at it for a while. Um, In the Silicon Valley, I I was able to kind of through my network, I did stuff early with a podcast called Mind Pump, which is like Mm -hmm. they're up there in the fitness space. And I got to know those guys pretty well. And you know, they were just one day, they kind of brought me under their wing and they were just going over some like very rudimentary numbers. And it's like, I can't count that high. So I was like, whoa, wait a minute. You guys are recording conversations on the internet and you're making how much? And all the power to them. Like they do, I think they do an amazing job. Um, so I was like, all right, there's something to this. So we, we registered our now, our company Prescript actually six months prior uh, to launching the podcast. So the podcast, it's initial purpose was to be a marketing vessel to build value around our brand and i think uh hopefully we've been able to do that across 160 episodes um because i used to take to like instagram i remember when instagram first had 60 second videos and it's like look out and it's like i can talk pretty fast for like an hour so i had to talk really fast for 60 seconds to get my point across but then it was like look that's not the right medium for that message people Mm -hmm. don't go to instagram to learn um, so we had a podcast and that gave me like an endless amount of, they gave me 32 gigabytes on a, on an SD card in my zoom H six worth of me ranting. So yeah, the podcast has been three and a half years, three and a half years. Yeah. We've been doing that one for him. Yeah. And then, and I, and I asked this question selfishly, cause obviously we, you know, I have a show, we have a show and Amber's there. What has, um, what has been one of the best, I guess you say, applications of the show that has mm-hmm. helped like with business and you know work for you guys in that sense if that makes sense uh, yeah of course yeah man I, i'm right there with you i think ours i don't know if it's atypical but our episodes usually do better when it's just me and my business partner like so we'll have like you know guests with big followings and all that and when i think it really comes like when it comes down to the business end and like don't get me wrong like i, I I pride myself in the business side of things. Um, and so when it comes down to the dollars and cents, like I think, you know, I could have like, we had Mike O'Hearn on the podcast. It was like, you know, Mike O'Hearn has been around for ever. And he's this curious fitness case of ben- Benjamin Button. And he's like getting younger while mm-hmm. he gets older. Um, but like that, well, that doesn't do as well as me. And like, as me and Jenta, my co-host, like we went through grad school together. Like I, I sat next to this guy in a radiology lab. When, and hand to God, I don't know if I've ever said this on a podcast, when we were just looking at x-rays for like days on end trying to study for this test. And our teacher who was administering the test, unbeknownst to him, was behind my business partner. And I chose to go in business with this guy after he said this. He's sitting there looking at like an x-ray view box. And I was like, I don't know, is it cancer? I don't know, that looks broken. 
what if, what if we get this what if we get this x-ray what if we get this x-ray on the test like what are you gonna do and the teacher's name was dominic scuderi and he goes then i'm gonna punch scuderi in the pussy and i was like oh and the guy heard him and i was like oh fuck and now i own a business with this guy so yeah good times but like those are the episodes it's because it's bullshit ranting like that because like me and this guy sat in a room together for four years and through like the most stressful time in our life, and we're still able to kind of have a laugh. So yeah. for us, it was just it was building a, a audience based off of providing value just with just us in a room. Like we didn't have guests on for the first. I think our first guest was uh, Wes Pyatt, maybe like uh, Josh Bryant, one mm-hmm. of those two. Um, but that was 30, 40 episodes in. So like. You know, a lot of people want like a ton of downloads. I don't really care. Like, I just care if I can keep buying Airbnbs so I don't have to grow up and get an apartment, (laughs) then that's enough downloads for me. So I think that's advice that I always like. And there's strategic stuff you can do out of the gate that I've learned with podcasts. Um, But I think the biggest thing is just don't be so reliant on having like having guests other yeah no just like and we should be able to build value like internally it has to be somewhat entertaining i think and that's and that's like just my power of one study of, of what we've been able to do because well, we can watch the statistics and go like look like when we have guests on we'll actually see a relative drop because mm-hmm. our core audience doesn't necessarily tune in because they know it's not going to be me and him then when we'll see a spike like some people come in then they like what they hear they go back to other episodes and then the following weeks we continue to grow uh, but yeah, it's an interesting medium. Like if you think about it, like uh, archiving conversation is yeah. a pretty revolutionary yeah. thing, right? Like it's, it's like, it's Gutenberg. It's a printing press all over again. So it, yeah. it's cool to, it's cool to watch people behave and interact with the platform. Yeah, it is. I mean, for me, like I, when I started the show, um, like I asked Amber to, like Amber was a guest first, like, you know, months ago. And I started it cause I wanted to, kind of recreate like when you you meet someone at a gym you end up lifting with them you meet them there you end up working with each other those conversations that you have with someone you just meet and you end up lifting with you have a good time and you learn something from them or you just shoot the shit with them but it's pretty cool like you know and I and that's one and so I kind of wanted to recreate that so mine kind of hinged on talk you know kind of like kind of having guests um, and then I'm, and obviously I felt like I needed another personality. And so I had, you know, I wanted Amber to come on and, and help me out. So it's interesting to hear a different side of it where you guys are more self-sufficient because you guys have that rapport, but also your own expertise. And then, you know, then mine a little bit. So it's interesting. The difference. Can I just go, can I just go on record? And that's the first time I've ever been called self-sufficient in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> At least in terms of your show, buddy. You say so. hey, I'll take, I'll, I'll take it, man. I'll take it anywhere I can get it. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm, I definitely haven't been called that either. So I, yeah. So I'm, do, I'm, I'm doing. It is a compliment. I'm doing it. I think that's cool. If your show does better without guests, like that's fucking rad. <laughs> so. Well, I think you, you want people to come to listen to your podcast, not for the guests in general. You, you want them to come to, what you're doing for you. So. At the end of the day, I like, I like that. I can understand why it would do better um, and why you would almost want it to do better without guests. So. Yeah, I mean, guests help bring some new people to the party. But, like, yeah. the nice thing, I, honestly, what I like about podcasts is no one can say anything. There's no comment section. This yeah. is, well, I'm not doing it. Like, 
because like it's so my business partner and I were one of the few who stayed in the area like where we went to school is in like Santa Clara California um so about 45 minutes south of San Francisco so a lot of our like classmates turned colleagues like everyone got out of there like everyone split real quick like man I'm not paying like there's a ton of chiropractors already around and me and him kind of stuck it out and we're like yeah I had a situation where I was transferring from a corporate setting into my own private practice um, and Jordan started off in his own private practice so Jordan's my co-host and so we would just get together and like riff about like how much it sucks to be poor in Silicon Valley and I was like oh like all we did was just hit record before we started talking because we were meeting on a regular basis for almost like a year and then we kind of came up with this idea um, for this platform and we just said the same things we said anyways, right? It's like the Mark Twain quote, like if you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. Yeah. Still, like my mom will text me, like she listens to the podcast and I forget all the time. And I said some shit, like Jordan, ah, oh. <laughs> I, I could, and I'm like, which one was it? And she, oh, I don't know, something about whatever. And I was like, oh shit, I know exactly what I said. Oh, I probably didn't want her to hear that. That's, that's a fuck up, that's on me. Luckily, my mother does not listen to my show, so I know. <laughs> it's probably it is probably better because I would get texts also. Um, well, you, your mom does text you. What are you talking about? <laughs> but not about the show. My mom, my mom is a no, is 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 a little nosy Nelly, but she doesn't listen to the show. Because trust me, there's we've definitely said some like we we interviewed Paul like Paul O'Need, like you know. Uh, just that was like the last one that we recorded and we went on a fucking little rant about how Pornhub is the savior of <laughs> lockdown. Free fucking premium for everybody. And, <laughs> you know, it's getting we, harder and harder to tell people I know who Paul O'Need is. It's getting harder to admit that. Do you know Paul O'Need? Nope, never heard of him. No, I knew he is. He's the guy who he, like he he thanked Pornhub for saving lockdown. Thank you for having me on. After I feel like this is a low bar to attain. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of Paul, uh, all of you being in the Ontario area, so there's Paul Need, there's Stu Locke, there's Omar Youssef, uh, and then there's you. So tell us a bit about the history there. Yeah, uh, so Omar's goes back the furthest, and it's so funny because like <laughs> my first memory of Omar. Uh, so Omar's originally from Windsor, uh, mm -hmm. where I grew up mostly. I was born out east, but I grew up in Windsor. Uh, so Omar, Omar's mom, grew up in like a really hard part of Windsor, in a time mm -hmm. where it was really hard. So it's a street called Drewlard Road. Anyways, fast forward to like my undergrad. Uh, so I'm two years younger than Omar. So I started my my undergraduate degree in history and political science at the University of Windsor. And Omar was just coming out of like he was just transitioning. He was kind of getting into the YouTube stuff was oh, basically over school. So he was two years in and I was just starting. So I was training at the university gym. So I was 18, maybe. Yeah, this was like 12, 12 years ago. And I remember seeing one of the guys who worked there. He's now a friend of mine. His name is Bobby. And Omar would train together all the time. And like, they were strong dudes. They seemed to be at the time, like they knew what they were doing. Until Omar one day, hand to God, in between sets at the University of Windsor gym, started eating cheese. And I was like, all right, 
I have I had faith in this kid. I had no idea. and I didn't know who he was and like he wasn't really anyone to know at the time. It was just this kid named Omar that trained and apparently ate cheese in between sets. And because he was trying to bulk. So the intra workout food of choice was cheese. And it was like it was like a spread. Like we had like there was like gouda, there was like blue, like he was I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Uh and then I worked as a bouncer in, in downtown Windsor um for years and i remember seeing this kid just like not all the time like omar wasn't a drunk by any stretch of the imagination but we both recollect on a time at the nightclub that i worked at like me having to kick him out for just being too belligerent <laughs> and then i honestly i never thought thought twice of him like i forgot like really who he was and then you know with me working with dan and him kind of being connected with jeremy hamilton um mm-hmm. we put all of these pieces together i was at boss of bosses too um, working with Dan kind of in between lifts. And I remember seeing this guy, I'm like, fuck, you look so familiar. And I was like, yeah, it's Omar Esau. And I was like, hey, he's like the, oh, like the YouTube guy. I was like, uh, okay. And I looked at him, I was like, oh, fuck, he's got like people know who he is. And he looked at me and he kind of did one of these, like, I know you sort of things. And we sat there for like 10 minutes. And then we slowly pieced together our interactions over the years. Because whenever I'm in Toronto, like I'll go to Fortis and I've like presented at Fortis. I'm on like the board of advisors for the original one um and i know like jeremy and all that so we've had all these overlaps and then we finally got together and was like oh fuck like we've known each other for like 12 years and we like we both just i left i left windsor he left windsor he did his thing i did mine and we converged together like probably 10 years after and now he's someone that like as i try and figure out like the online businessy side of things he's someone who's obviously done like extremely well uh so he's been like a great resource and whenever i'm in town i always catch up with him um Stu, Stu's relatively new. Paul, so I met Paul through Jay Nira. We're actually integral in, in getting all of this started. So they came to me. I was doing seminars a few years ago, just powerlifting gyms, kind of going right to the right to the end user. And there was a group in Ottawa um, that worked for Good Life that wanted me to do a seminar. And then Jay and Paul sort of got together as they were working on um metro life at the time and it was early 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 days and like hey would you want to come do a seminar with us paul's like i'll get it certified through nsca we'll have it like good for continuing education i was like yeah sweet like i'll fly up to ottawa absolutely so i flew up to ottawa and um, that was the first time i met paul in person so that would have been like three years ago uh, so i met paul through jay and i knew jay just through powerlifting and, and being sponsored by animal and being around dan and all that um and then Stu is relatively recent. So Stu, I'd met uh, just through Good Life. Honestly, like I knew who he was. Um, I think we were supposed to compete against each other at the pro show last year, but he, yeah, he pulled a Stu and that. I think tore another <laughs> one of his quads. Quad. So it's kind of been like, it's kind of been like this back and forth of like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll meet together on a platform at 275 one of these days, but he's someone that I go to like when I have, questions about programming or if I have questions about um, nutrition or if I have questions about lifts and uh, he's probably one of the most invaluable resources. Um, he's the only person who I turn and my girlfriend knows his voice now because he's the only person that I turn the volume on in his stories huh? for because <laughs> he just rants so much like he literally says everything I want to say but doesn't care enough to not say it. Uh, so yeah it, it's, a, it's a small little like and throw throw together like um, you know like 
throw in bacon and barbells and Jordan Moffat and throw in like mm-hmm. bears and arrows and then bears throw and in arrows. like JC Dubay and, and, and throw in never. So like Ontario powerlifting got really small, really. Cause I didn't really know about it. Honestly, like I didn't start powerlifting until I had moved to California. So I didn't, I didn't really have like, I had no concept of like when your training partners are Andrew Herbert and Dan Green, like you have no concept of where you lie in the totem pole. Like I remember doing my first meet and I was like, Oh, I'm going to get waxed. And my coach was like, what are you talking about? It's like, you're going to win this thing <laughs> running away. Like we're, we're doing a dusty meet in Santa Cruz. Like, are you serious? But I was so used to like, I would train on a Friday night after I got done um, with the team. And I would, I would be lifting with Emily who Christy Hawkins, Dan Green and uh, Andrew Herbert. So I was like, all right, who here doesn't have a world record? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty like insular, um, like inception. And then I realized like, wait, there's other people that do this weird shit in other places. I'm like, Oh wait, people do this like in my hometown. Like, uh, when I left, like Kelly Branton was another one. Like I've known Kelly for 15 years. I remember being at nightclubs going, I really hope that guy doesn't start shit because he's massive and <laughs> I'm going to leave. Um, so it's been cool to like, just come back and see that like, it's kind of grown leaps and bounds, uh, while I was like away. And so now I always have like, you know, friends with cool gyms and places to train. Like, yeah, it's, it's been interesting, like the, how small that network has become. Oh yeah. It's absolutely exploded across Canada. Like, uh, bears and arrows, Dave and Kay are now, uh, on the Island. So yeah, West coast, all the way on the East coast. And then us little misfit team in Alberta, uh, connecting with everybody else. It's really cool to see how it's all kind of come together. That was one of the reasons that I wanted her on the show is because, you know, we became friends and we'd always, you know, we'd be chatting and she'd be telling me about everything that kind of is going on up, you know, up there in the powerlifting scene. And I, I kind of, it was really cool. I liked hearing about it. And I thought that it was kind of a bummer that most of us here in the States aren't aware of the other lifters and just kind of the other, uh, just that scene and the degree of strength that's up there. And so I kind of, that was kind of one of the things I was like, I kind of want to introduce that. I'd like to see more of that crossover because everyone she introduces me to, or, you know, shows me is it's really cool. It's it's fun. So that was part of it. It's a contrast. Like Mm -hmm. the powerlifting, it's like, I mean, I learned how to powerlift in the States out of probably one of the most, like, I would argue one of the most prolific powerlifting gyms. Like, let's can, can we go on the can we go on the record here and talk about what the real fucking strongest gym in the west is please can we enough with the super training bullshit like oh, really yeah fuck that get, get over yourself <laughs> come down come down the road from sacramento and we'll feed you your fucking lunch like get out of here with this nonsense go make a music video about it you smell like what are you thinking <laughs> but it's like i just but no like you know, everyone, everyone's got like the spray painted sign and like take a picture. It's like, we had the orange squat rack. Like everyone knows, like there are records, unofficial world records that, that no one has ever, like I watched, I spotted Andrew Herbert squat 970 at 242, two years ago. No one ever knew the camera wasn't rolling. It was every, we had, there were seven spotters and the weakest spotter squatted 700 pounds. So we had seven guys squatting over 700 and four guys squatting over eight that were spotting this dude. And it was just like, 
it's different it's like it's it's clicky in the states like it's so clicky like you know you go up to sack and it's mark and like i I take the pass but like they do great they do great things for the sport they bring a lot of people in and and i think we're all we should all be eternally grateful for that so i don't want to seem like i'm taking a job but then you go down to like you go down to la and then it's like you got barbell brigade and then you got zoo which is like whatever and then you go over to Miami and there's hybrid and then there's like Miami iron. And so it's very, it's very secular. Like it's very strange. Yeah. And it's like, I, I kind of, I got kind of float. I think I get a, I get along with enough people. Like I can kind of go wherever, but like there are, there's been times where I've gone to gyms and I've had to ask people to not take like photo or videos of me lifting. Cause like it would, it would be in conflict. It's like, what is this? The Capulets and the Montagues. This is like yeah. the Jack sharks. This is West side fucking story here. Like, what are we doing? Like we're lifting weights where it's like I find in Canada and maybe who knows, maybe it's an inevitability of like when money starts to really get involved and we're just not at that scale in Canada. But I find in Canada, like there's definitely like much more of a communal environment where everyone's like, yeah, like we're just lifting weights. Like no one's like, you know, I don't think for the most part, it's really like, you know, it's putting, it's putting a ton of money in anyone's pocket. So they got to be doing it because they like it to a certain degree. Um, so I, I find the Canada, the Canada scene right now is it's sort of like coming up to be much more inviting, um, and, and a lot less like infringing, like, Oh wait, can I go here? Like you have to go through some fucking Venn diagram of like, you know, and the only way you're not welcome at some gym is if you've done some awful things in the community and there, there's definitely some people that are unwelcome. Um, that, that happens everywhere, but I, as a whole, I would say, across Canada, it's, it's pretty communal. Um, there are some big names, like big gym names, um, that I could throw out there and everybody's pretty much welcome everywhere. You go to Ontario, train on a Fortis. Um, there's metal in Saskatchewan and Edmonton or just in Alberta, you know, there's the strength edge in Calgary. Um, Misfit, we have our own private facility there. And then BC, I don't really know much about BC to be quite honest. Um, I don't know much of the community in BC, but it's, it's spread across the country. I would say it's very communal and very supportive. Yeah. I do think it's a little bit changing in the States. Like it's not as, I mean, it still is clicky. You're right. Like there are definitely the, there's like Florida, SoCal, NorCal, Chicago, um, Texas. But for the most part, like I, you know, I've gone to most of the other gyms and, and again, I think it maybe depends on like how known you are, but for the most part, everyone's pretty, you know, pretty good. But at the same time, you're not wrong. It is, uh, it, it is a weird, it's a weird scene. It is a weird scene. <laughs> you're not wrong. It's just, I mean, it's human behavior expressed in a different arena. It'd be yeah. no different. Like we were talking about golf or we were talking about, I don't know, oil painters or something like it's just people are, people are strange. People are weird. And this is just throw in, throw in exogenous hormones into the mix barbells and lamb of God. And it's like, all right, this gets real strange real quick. Yeah. By the way, I want to, I want to, I really appreciated the hot, the hockey, hockey slang or schmelt that you threw in earlier. That was fun. Uh, <laughs> still got it. He told me like the best compliment he's ever received is when I told him that he sounded like a Canadian hockey boy. Every time he rants, it's like the Canadian hockey s comes out of him, full yeah. throttle. Yeah, it was when I heard I heard Schmelt and I fucking I kind of lost it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, uh, that'll res- that'll resonate with hopefully a few people in Canada. But yeah, that I was like, before like, it was barbells. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I, w- I really wanted to ask you, so working, you know, kind of, you know, in for lifting, like working with Dan and maybe like, you know, programming into doing now, um, what are, what has been some things that from when you started working with, you know, you know, with him um, and what have you taken or what have you changed and what have you, you know, into now for lifting? Uh, yeah. Uh, from a programming aspect, I've definitely like, I've taken, I think good and, and bad and adopted since I've left boss, like boss. And it's not like, it's not thrown on you. Like the programming is like, this is what people lift on these days. If you want to run with the bulls, then this is what you do. Uh, I've definitely attenuated my volume and intensity a lot since training at boss. Um, Dan's ability to recover from insane amounts of high intensity volume is like nothing I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and I had to quickly realize as I left that I was not him uh, and likely will never be him. Uh, Cause I mean, you, you'll see this guy, like he'll lift, you'll watch him pull what you think to be a single base off of like the bar speed and you go, Oh shit. And then he does six more reps and you're like, what the fuck are you like who hurts you like what what is going on <laughs> and so like that's uh, but you keep like it you keep up with the joneses and you're like all right he says he, i remember my first like my first 700 pound squatting competition was at the u.s open like three years ago and i just wanted to get 705 so like a 320 kilo squat and i did like 684 on my second and it moved well as you want to go for it and i was like yeah and so he was calling my numbers, like he was handling me. And I hear him go over to the to the side table and go, he's going to take 330. And I was like, that's not 320. And I was like, I went from 684 on a second to uh, 727 on a third. He's like, dude, I just want a 700-pound squat. And he's like, he just goes, yeah, you can do it. And like, that was like my dad telling me he was proud of me for the first time. I was like, yeah. wait, what? He thinks I could actually do it? Um, but that was something like, it's it's so specific i think to the environment that you can you can manage to train that that level of intensity and volume in that and like in surrounded by those people like in that context that if you don't have that you, like i especially with traveling like i've definitely had to like attenuate my volume and intensity and that's something that's hard like because i got like relatively speaking for me like pretty strong training that way but and trying to like travel and like oh like a, you know i should be doing percentage-based stuff and you know I, i'm not getting stronger and i realize it's like look I, i'm not in the same it's not the same context i'm not but i'm not living the same lifestyle i have to be able to be a little bit more fluid with my training and that's been one of the big ones because like if you ever train there it's like it's it's work and it, like i think it should be that like people are always trying to talk about like oh you know like you don't have to like beat your body up and all that. And it's like, yeah, maybe, but it'll prove how much you want to be there. Like mm-hmm. every one of us in that gym has got like, Dan's gone through two surgeries. Andrew like exploded his elbow. I've done my pack. Um, but we've all come back and come back stronger. So it's like that, that to me has probably been the biggest, or just purely around training is like how I, how I approach programming from a volume intensity standpoint now is like totally 180 degrees different than the, what it was when I was training there. Yeah. What, I mean, I think you made a good point of like, you know, how much, I think people do, or rather they don't push themselves enough. You know, there was always the joke for a powerlifter, anything over three is cardio, but you know, but it's, you know, that is kind of its own conditioning. Like I feel like the, you know, powerlifters who do, you know, who 
push that high intensity and that volume, it's, it's, it's heavy weight conditioning in a way. Like you can get used to moving that weight and recovering. Um, it's only going to transfer better on the platform at that point. Yeah, there's a lot of intangible skill around managing heavy weights that people don't necessarily mm -hmm. appreciate, right? Like, like you can't do transferable technique work at 40% when you squat like an extra physiological amount of weight, like, because things change. Like it's a, it's a different lift fundamentally from like when you start to manage like true, like a beginner doesn't have a true max. They have a technical ceiling to their ability to, to uh, perform movements, right? Like that's not a max. Like when their technique breaks down, that's not like the, their potential of their one rep max isn't necessarily realized yet. When you, when you surpass that, that, that novice level of technical breakdown and you actually get to like a pure physiological glass ceiling of your ability to exert force, that's when things start to get different. Like I did three meets back to back, or sorry, I did two meets with three weeks apart. So I did the, the Arnold in Australia and then three weeks later I did the US Open. And it's, I went from squatting out of a mono to squatting out of a squat stand. And it's like, they're the only thing I had to worry about in that three weeks. Like I wasn't necessarily going to get stronger, but there's a skill component to like, you know, it seems arbitrary when you compare it to something like golf, but I'd love to see Tiger Woods wrap his knees and walk 750 out of an ER rack. It's like that becomes, you know, you're going to like, you're going to moonwalk that thing back. It sucks, right? Like it's, it's, it's the worst thing in the world. But like, I think there's something to be said about training high volume and high intensity is it's making, it's the, it's the mental reps and preparing for that intangible skill that people miss because a handoff on a bench is so integral when you're dealing, when, when you're doing like, you know, doubles at 90% for sets of like 10 or 12, you're like, like, are you sure this is 90%? but you're just taking long rest periods and what you're really practicing is your grainy and like that handoff, where you're going to release, how that bar rests in your wrist, how mm -hmm. you take your breath, like taking your breath. Like for me, once I get around, like, you know, once I get over like a 300 kilo squat, my breathing is totally different. So now I need to practice like a stunted breathing pattern at my sub maximal weight. Cause I know like when there's 350 or 750 on the bar, it's like, the luxury of going it's not gonna happen like there's so much negative pressure on your lungs that you're and that's that like that's not a super heavy squat either right so that but that's an intangible thing like if i if i'm practicing like lower intensity and i'm doing this like rpe nonsense and then i get under a heavy weight and i realize that oh i can't create the same level of inner abdominal pressure or i can't expand my rib cage under this heavy load on a bench that's going to fundamentally change my technique so I need to reverse engineer my technique. And even when the weights don't call for it, I still need to emulate the, 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 the setting or the scenario that I'm going to be under or the circumstances that I'm going to be under, under this heavy load. So I think a lot, training heavy volume, if nothing else, teaches the importance of those intangibles. Like you can haphazardly, you know, walk out a bar if you're constantly training submaximally, but if you're always trying to like pushing the envelope of intensity, that walkout has got to be like, like laser sharp every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the con and then just knowing that you can deal with it at the same time. Like once you get something heavy, even if you can do it, if you aren't used to it, it's yeah, it's, 
It's gaining that confidence under the heavyweights and doing it more frequently. It's the only way you're going to get better at it. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And and that's the thing. Like, I don't know why powerlifting. I mean, I know why powerlifting doesn't get looked at as a sport. But if we all were all to look at powerlifting, like from a coaching perspective, in the same way, like I mean, I've I have a strength conditioning background, like in a what we'll call like a conventional sport. So I, I did strength conditioning for a rugby team in California, and um, if we looked at powerlifting like a sport and we programmed it like we programmed for any other sport with a certain level of like generality in an off season and specificity moving towards competition, and we really understood the specifics that went into executing a lift on the day, we would be much better off. But I think it, it because it falls a little bit in this bro subculture we still apply very bad science and methods and lore to our to our methods of programming where it's like if you just look at it like a sport and you program it like you'd program for like a rugby off season or something like that and as you transition in season and like really really program around okay where do the where do the brakes or where do the wheels really fall off this thing like when it goes bad where is it going to go bad and how do we reinforce that I think it, there's so much misinformation around like pro the programming aspect because people don't respect like that skill. Because a lot of times the people doing like the programming, people that have never lifted heavy weights. Like, sorry, it's a different. Yeah. And again, it kind of comes down to empathy. Like, I I I I struggled programming for people stronger than me because I could not imagine what 900 pounds feels like. Like my math, like I'm. I feel like I'm going to fold like a lawn chair on like under 200 pounds lighter than that. So I struggle with like being able to really, and again, like I take an athlete's first approach, like really struggle with what that must feel like, what that like waking up the next day after taking 970 to the hole, like what do you feel like? Like I feel like I hit by a bus after I squat like, you know, 30% less than that. So it's uh yeah, it, it's interesting. And then, you know, it, it just, it stirs a lot of debate and conversation in the coaching realm about like, do you have to be an athlete? Do you have to be a, a good athlete to be a good coach? Or are you automatically a good coach if you're a good athlete, which is like the other side of the coin that people don't necessarily consider. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't always think so. I think sometimes there's some really good athletes and they're not good teachers. They're terrible. Not, they're yeah. They're like, well, I do this. Well, yeah, good for you. Frank, but like teaching uh, is all about language. If you don't know how to talk to another person, I don't believe you can be a good teacher. Personally, that, that's my personal and, opinion. And enter powerlifters who have a hard time looking other human beings in the <laughs> eye. Like I've literally hand to God been in boss barbell and needed a spot from someone. And I, I went on Instagram and DM'd them from across the room. I was like, Hey, I'm going to wrap my knees. Uh, could you be a, my left side spot in two minutes? And this twitchy weirdo like gets up and like he's there, like he's a nice enough guy, but like, you know, especially Silicon Valley, like this guy works in the depths of the internet, like for is his job. Like he's, I, he literally, this one dude I'm referring to, like he would sit with his computer open and his screen just looked like the matrix, like green numbers on a black thing. I was like, I, I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking to you. Like I don't um, know what will happen right yeah. now. Um, you kind of said something earlier and um, you said of like kind of why, you know, you see, you know, you know why piloting is not looked at as a sport. And I've kind of had a similar conversation as to why, you know, um, that obviously Olympic lifting, because it's an Olympic sport, therefore it's seen more as a sport and they're athletes. Mm -hmm. um, and even kind of strongman is looked at, I think, sometimes a little bit more 
Uh, it's also niche. Um, but that's so powerlifting. It is, but I think there's a little bit more like known, or I guess it's seen more as, if that makes sense. I think like in popular view. Um, what would you say is like needed for the sport to maybe upgrade? To that a, Netflix, a, a Netflix special, probably, if I'm being realistic. <laughs> like, probably a Netflix special. That would probably do it. But didn't they have that? West Side vs. the World is on Netflix now, so. Yeah, but is that the outward-facing representation of you want our, for our sport? sport? No. No. no That's not, exactly, <laughs> no, like, we're not exactly putting on our best face here. I'm going like, hey, yeah, Chuck Vogelpohl. Come on down. Like, like really, what, what mom is going to watch, like, West Side versus the World and want their son to get into powerlifting? Let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, it's – I think unification is going to be the big one, right? Like, mm -hmm. what federation do I choose? Yeah. Like, that, like there's 70,000 federations, and it's like they're usually all run by dusty people who sell drugs. And it's like, okay, it's probably number one, not the best place to start. So I think, you know, there has to be some unification internally. Like, people aren't going to embrace this fragmented, you know, it, it's like a backyard barbecue meets Metallica cover band where there also happens to be weights <laughs> kicking around. Like it's, it's a rednecks family reunion. It's, it's not, it's not, or and like whatever. And it, it can be that and it can be cool. Like and it doesn't have to be like a big production. It doesn't have to necessarily be a sport, but if it is going to get recognized, there has to be, you know, things that we abide by like other major sporting organizations, right? Like, there's the the XFL didn't make it for a reason. It's like, yeah, we have the NFL, like, but we all, we have the, we have, I don't know, like RPS, they're lifting green plates for some reason. It's like, this is the XFL of powerlifting. Why are yep. we lifting green plates? And then in Russia, there's like ring girls running around with like cards that say like how much the next attempt is. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? Like, can we get some sort of like standard method of operation here? So I think that's one of the biggest things. But if, if honestly, like we wanted to bring it to the mainstream, like an accurate depiction of the current landscape around powerlifting on Netflix would probably bring more people to the table. Yeah. Honestly, I would very much agree with that. Um, now, in talking like sport, you have sport, you have athletes. Um, I've heard people say like powerlifters shouldn't really be seen as athletes. Um, and, you know, it, it's a hobby. Sure, it's a hobby. I I wouldn't necessarily consider it a hobby. I don't like saying hobby, but I see myself as an athlete. I treat myself like an athlete. Um, would you say powerlifters should be seen as athletes or? Some of them. How would you? Some of them should just be seen as powerlifters. And like, I come from a, and I come from a conventional sport background. I have a lot of experience in dealing with like what we'll call like conventional athletes at like a range of levels from, Pee wee right. to professional, like I've kind of run the gambit, and like to me, an athlete is between the ears, right? Like an ability to mm -hmm. overcome adversity in a very short period of time, like, and that's because powerlifting is so controlled. That's why I think it it flies in the face of what we normally think an athlete should be. And but there are circumstances that change, and they're albeit marginal. It's like look a small change when we're dealing with like very small room for error is actually a really big relative change. But I, I mean, I've been in plenty of warm up rooms with plenty of guys and girls who just lose the plot. Like 
you missed a lift in a climate controlled room, you, your day is not over. Like your circumstances mm-hmm. when you play like rugby or when you play football, or if you're like a UFC fighter, your circumstances can change for the worst in a split second and you need to know how to react. And it's that reaction. Oh, yeah, the variables are always changing. Yeah. Like at no point when I squat, am I worried about someone coming and taking out my knee or punching me in the face? So it's yeah. like, okay, that immediately right there puts me behind the eight ball. But you know, say I, I miss a lift or I get a bad call. It's like the athlete that competes in powerlifting goes in, goes into the back room, I don't know, puts his headphones on, takes his wraps off, chills for a bit, goes up, takes a heavier attempt on this next, or takes the same, whatever, and then goes up and hits the lift on the next lift. The power lifter mm-hmm. goes in the back room, kicks the chalk pole, rips the ammonia, maybe hits some, uh, I don't know, like he'll snort some something that's not ammonia, He'll hit something without a without an ester, and then he'll go back up on the platform. It's like <laughs> that's a power lifter. That's not an athlete. Like so, I, I think there is there is absolutely athletes in the sport, and I think to excel to be like one like Yuri Balkin is probably one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. Like I've seen Yuri lift and have lifted at meets with him, and it's there there's there's a it, there's a methodical aspect to the way that he carries himself. Mm-hmm. That's like oh, this is different. Like this is, this is, this isn't, you know, he's not having a full blown domestic with his girl in the back and like, he's not like raging out. Like he's, he's, he's precision and he shows up and he fucking kicks the shit out of powerlifters because he shows up as an athlete. Um, So I think there's a space for that language, but I think it's all based around like the mental state and how people carry themselves. I think that's what makes them athletes. I was just going to say like the difference between the two is your mental space how you go into it from a mental aspect. And then, and I, and I think it's, it's, you made a good point about that precision. Like I know um, some of the, you know, the guys I always work with, it's always, you know, technique over hype. And that was one thing that I really, that when I you know, started made a big difference was, you know, don't, don't rely on ammonia. Don't rely on all, you know, all this stuff. Just, you know, know your technique, focus on what you're going to do and it'll be better than getting amped the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, they're long days, man. Like they're really long days. They're long fucking days. Boss of bosses, (laughs) what, five? Like, wow, it was one of my last meets and like, I didn't hit my last pole until like 7 p.m. and I was in the warm-up room at 8. Like, you got to be, like, I think. Just think of how much energy you are wasting on the amount of hype that you're producing. And that's yeah. what I try to tell my clients, my athletes is like, this is not necessary. Put the energy into the lift, put the energy into your training. Don't worry about like hitting pneumonia all the time, getting hyped up. You don't need somebody yelling at you. You don't need to be yelling. All that matters is what's happening on that platform and the energy you're putting into that. Yeah. Like having an ability to get up is great, but it's kind of like the warrior in the garden kind of thing. Like you got to be able to mm-hmm. come down. Like, and you see the guys mm-hmm. who are like pacing in the back room. I was like, screw you, dad. And it's like, all right, keep that between like whatever dark room you eat your ice cream mm-hmm. out at night. But like, you know, don't bring that shit here. Cause it's like that, that guy's napping. Like he's, he's done for by the time you get to third attempt dead. And it's like, it's just really a battle of attrition. Like, you know, can you stay in it long enough to complete the day is really like when I did that US Open meet. I think I got fourth and I technically beat Andrew Herbert, Larry Williams, Kevin Oak because Andrew blew out his tricep on bench. Uh, Larry Tim Tebowed his squat and ended up taking a knee. 
And then Kevin Oak went down on deadlift. So I was sitting there like my fourth meet going like, Oh, where the fuck did everyone go? Like, Oh yeah, I got fourth. The U S open sick. And it was just attrition. Right. Or like, and you see it with, with guys who, you know, like I love, Oh, I love power lifters. They're so, so the recap post, the recap post on Instagram. Oh, the best excuses I've ever heard are on a recap post. Like, dude, give me fucking strength, man. Like, uh, how, you can't make an excuse for something that you've known is going to happen on this day for like eight months. Like there's literally, there is no excuse. Like, you know, you watch a UFC fight and again, circumstances change all the time. And it's like, yeah, I got, I, I got kicked in the head. I didn't expect to get kicked in the head. It's like, you knew you had three attempts on squat, bench and deadlift. You knew they were likely going to be spaced this apart. There was 15 lifters in the flight. You're likely going to be 20 minutes in between attempts. This is this is the day. Like play it out in your head a few times and we should be sweet. But there's nothing like a good a good recap post for me. It's like, oh, I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll pull over to the side of the road. Like, I gotta read this. I gotta read this bullshit. Like, you know, and that's a power lifter move, right? It's just like and they oh, say the, they say the infamous words too. Wasn't the day I hoped for. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't there that day. Wasn't there that day? Where, where was day it? Wanted. What day is it going to be there? Like, <laughs> oh my god! It's the singular so day silly. of three months worth of work. People you know? make me laugh. Yeah, but and you know, I think it's all in the continuum. Like, people don't write those posts often because they either fizzle out or they end up getting out of the sport. The people who kind of like ascend of the ranks, like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, let's do another move, we'll figure it out, or, yeah. you know, oh, well, my upper back wasn't strong enough, so my next block is going to be X, Y, and Z, or, you know, I, I pushed for a third attempt on my squat that was maybe too ambitious. My quads need to, you know, I need to build strength in my quads, so I'm going to immediately start to think of how I'm going to program into my next training cycle. And that's like, that I think would be the difference between the athlete and the power lifter. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's just like, like you said, it's the planning, it's the, you know, and it's like, again, like with Yuri, um, I remember I, I was talking to, to Joe. I got to train with Joe Sullivan when we were in Vegas and he, we were at dinner. And he was telling me he thought it was really funny about Yuri. They went to dinner and while after they ordered, people were talking and Yuri was sitting there sleeping. Like he had his head down, just like just, just sleeping until the food got there. Someone would say something to him and he'd be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. And then he'd go right back to yeah, you know, sleeping. <laughs> like that was Yuri. The that's Russian athletes in general, man. Like that's you know, if you look at, I mean, again, like I'll go back to combat sports because I find myself working with those guys more and more. Uh, like if you look look at old school Olympic wrestlers, like same same issue. It's like here you have you know the U.S. team in the back, like hopping around on their toes and mm -hmm. like trying to get warmed up, and like coach is doing the whole like pressure point thing. And fucking Igor and Alexi or whoever are just sitting in the back having a nap. And the coach, like, wakes them up. They do a couple quick breathing drills, get sympathetic. And then all of a sudden they go out there and they wipe the floor with everyone. It's like, that's, again, it's that warrior in the garden. It's like, look, man, like, there's there's no delta. There's no there's no variability in, in tone of the nervous system that doesn't make you a dangerous person makes you a spastic it makes you a hothead it doesn't make you a good athlete like the good athlete can go from you know that parasympathetic state to sympathetic and back that's the integral part right rather than just like you know anyone can dredge up childhood memories rage out and hit the torque and then go but it's like can you like can you bring it back down real quick and then when you unrack the bar for the next lift can you go there again 
the mm-hmm. same. It's the same thing. And that's, and again, like when we talk athlete, the ability to do that at dinner is going to be something that, you know, imagine you don't only do that for those eight hours a week that you train or the 10 or 12 hours a week that you do that you train, you do that for the 168 hours in a week, how much better suited you are to get, or how much better suited you are going to be on the barbell for every training session and how much that accumulates over time. And then how well that, that accumulation of that expression of behaviors is going to manifest itself when you're actually at a competition. Yeah. And then to, to use what you, what you said about fighters, because I, I started in martial arts. I mean, I grew up with it, but um, Fedor and Alexander Emelianenko were the best examples. Those guys just, you know, have some of the best prolific fights in, in any MMA history, you know, through the years. And you see them, they just, there's no expression ever. They're just blank. And then they just go in there and they punch the dude and then they, they bow and they're like, thanks. I appreciate being here. And they leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Russians are aliens, man. Russians are aliens. We'll find that out later in our lives that Russians are actually aliens. Yeah. Hold me on it. It's, it's recorded. Yeah, I, I said it here first. Said it here first. <laughs> 10 years ago, Mr. Jordan said, yeah, you were right. There it is. That's it. Different. So- I actually just want to uh, talk to you really quickly about uh, Prescript because we didn't get into it too much. Um, and oh, right yeah. now is the summer, I guess you could consider it semester, spring, summer, semester. Yeah, I just make it up as I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that obviously that expanded throughout Canada. You're doing that in uh, the Good Life facilities um, and it is also offered online. Um, I'm a part of the level one right now. Super excited about that. Uh, I look forward to hearing you rant on a weekly basis. But um, how did that go about um, and how are you looking to expand that and I guess change it as it moves forward Um, in Um, a sense of maybe like modules and textbooks, etc. Yeah, great. Great question. Just throw here's a layup. So yeah, Prescript started 2016. So my business partner and I were both chiropractors in Silicon Valley and we both kind of dealt, he he was like, or is a high level Olympic weightlifter, crossfitter. Um, And I dealt obviously in the powerlifting side of things. Um, So we needed to like create like scalable interventions that our patients could follow outside of our office time. Like we are low, low volume. Like come see me once, I'll figure out what's wrong with you. I'll tell you how to fix yourself because frankly what good am i other than that like yeah i can maybe like move some bones that other people might move but or might not be able to move but that's really like the extent of my utility and it's like to what degree that's really efficacious as a as a therapeutic intervention is really up to up for debate so what we did was just started recording a bunch of videos of like rehab exercises that really didn't exist um but really helped bridge the gap and start to affect you know maybe what we'll call like a a finely tuned nervous system rather than just being these novel adaptations that most people sort of were dishing out at the time. Like, and novel novelty works for like a, a very remedial subset of the population, which is the bulk of the population. So every now and like, you know, if you guys were to walk into a normal office of like a normal, uh, like manual therapist, chiropractor, physical therapist, whatever, um, you'd end up with the same geriatric banded rehab type shit as, you know, Karen from accounting that just left. So obviously it's not going to have an effect. So what we started to do is record a bunch of these videos and we just used it in our own office. Like he would hold the camera, like, hey, I got this idea for this shoulder pain thing that I'm seeing so I could send it off to my patient so she doesn't have to come in all the time. 
Um, so we started doing that and then growing the social media stuff, people started to like reach out and like, Oh, like my shoulder hurts on this and this. So we started to like kind of go through almost this, this idea of like a factor analysis, like statistically, what are we seeing? And then when we look at the human body, how can we minimize the redundancy on in our intervention based off what we're seeing? So we started to make like these, you know, four or six week programs for kind of shoulder and hip and that expanded out to spine. And we like had them that we were able to like distribute. Um, and it was very much like a ragtag operation. And then we reincorporated with two business partners. So one of my patients, um, now he's our CTO, was the head of advanced robotics at NASA. So where my office was located was about two miles away from um, the Ames Research Center. So he, he had some issues and I like just wrote him up and hyperlinked all these like shitty recorded videos of me on a cell phone explaining things. And he came in the next day for the first time in like a decade without back pain. And he's like, dude, what, like, how did you do this with like these videos? It's like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, I just, I just thought this is your problem and this is how you fix it. And he goes, this has to be a business. So he invested in us. Um, and we have an operations manager or an operations officer out of Washington. That was his friend. And they worked through DARPA, which is like, if you, DARPA is like this really weird, dark part of the U.S. government that's like uh, Department of Advanced Research Projects something. Uh, so they work on like sleepless soldiers and shit like that, like really crazy shit. Uh, so that was probably around 2018. And then, yeah, it expanded through um, more on the education side as Good Life came to me to develop curriculum for their personal trainers. Um, and then simultaneously a gym called Ultimate Performance, which has like a, it's an international franchise of personal training um, gyms or studios. Uh, the owner of that, Nick Mitchell, came to me to basically do the same thing. Uh, so we've very much got thrust into the education space. And then with documenting all the stuff online and traveling, uh, I mean, we were in Hong Kong and Singapore for UP and, um, you know, we go all across Canada for good life. So in documenting that, people got really interested. But the problem with the level that we teach at currently was like, it's very hard to find a concentrated group of people in one geographical area that is akin to this type of language and, and, and wants to collect for a weekend. So the in-person seminars outside of our contracts are quite difficult to, to arrange because it takes a special kind of meathead to really want to listen to the stuff we talk about at the cadence and level that we talk about it. Uh, but on the internet, it's it's easier to self-select this audience. So um, it would have been August of last year. I came up with this idea of creating an online curriculum, and we put together our first Prescript Level One certification. Um, and we've been running now into our third iteration, our third semester. Uh, and as far as your question about where does it go, uh, I like to see Prescript start to. Uh, I, I'm writing curriculum down, which means like we're writing a personal training certification program to hopefully start to raise the standard. Um, and we're talking with some insurance companies at the moment and government organizations and making sure that we can get recognized. Um, so we're going to try and sort of control the entire, um, like sort of the whole um, chain of production from entry level to advanced level. Uh, we have some arms dedicated to like clin clinicians. So we will have prescript certifications for uh, manual therapists, chiropractors and all that. And the same sort of government ring role in getting those certified. Uh, and then textbook. Uh, so I've been writing a book for five years. It's kind of like the universe. It's ever contracting and expanding at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully actually, I actually, I had this talk with my publisher yesterday. So the deadline for the outline is May 13th. So I'm sort of just putting all that together. 
And then moving forward, I think the, the biggest thing for us now with the online course being so, um, just so much more viable than traveling around the world is to have a studio space where we can really start to make that experience a little bit better. Like, you know, I, I, I'm lucky that we're, we're kind of locked down right now, but it's often times that I'll have to, I've taught more classes than I'd like to admit at like, uh, I don't know, a Panda Express in an airport terminal. Like I'll just get off a plane and it would be like 10 minutes before um, class and I'll just have to find good Wi-Fi or tether off my phone, set up, and then I'll literally teach for two hours at a time in an airport terminal. So with the scale of this last semester and the projected growth of the course over the next uh, the next couple of quarters, put like likely end up in Toronto at some point when the borders open up and then we'll be able to actually create a studio space and have like my videographer kind of do some neat stuff while we're actually teaching so I don't have to teach like a qual I literally taught so we're running two semesters simultaneously so I teach taught week one of our summer our summer semester and week 12 of our our spring semester and I literally taught a quad extension on this very bar stool and it's like, okay, what if I could teach a quad extension on a quad extension and be able to simulcast that across nine different countries to 150 different students? So that's where things are headed. Um, we're very much doubling down on the education space as I think it's like an underserviced part of, of the fitness industry. And I think it's something that hopefully we can lend some insight and make some change that way. Um, and then expanding upwards, obviously, into a level two curriculum. But expanding down into a personal training certification that can set different trajectories because like like i said at the start like a lot of what we have to do in teaching is be empathetic of people's preconceived biases towards the information that you're teaching them especially if it contrasts their current viewpoint but how how much easier my job would be if i didn't have to uh, have to eclipse these hurdles and you know talk like oh the knees over the toe like well you know nasm says knees over the toes is bad and I was like, but if I indoctrinated people into personal training and I was able to, how far could we push this? Like, how far can we push the scope of practice of personal training if I don't need to overcome, like, if we're sitting with these very inane, antiquated thought processes and then we're perpetuating these ideas over generations to the end user, which is that's really my main concern is how can we bring a better service? Because, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time and a lot of money, you know, learning the whole manual therapy side of things and then the best the best outcomes that I get is when I'm actually training people and it's like all right how a personal trainer could likely do more good with the right tools than a manual therapist and I think that's mm -hmm. that's that's a very that's a very safe statement to say is I do both both things very often so that's that for me is like to really start to realize the potential of personal trainers and try to raise the standard of trainer of coach because it's like I think over time we've let it slip and there's a negative connotation to that. And it's like some of the, some of the best, like if I have, if I have athletes with shoulder injuries that I can't figure out, I'll send them to a strength and conditioning coach. Like Eric Cressy is a strength and conditioning coach. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's probably one of the most, most intelligent people, especially when it comes to the shoulder, because he deals a lot with major league pitchers out there like he'll, he'll run circles around physical therapists and chiropractors mm -hmm. so it's like why i think there's there's so much value to be had for someone who is willing to spend three four hours a week one-on-one -on -one with someone 
where it's like my business model when I was in practice could not necessarily float that or people couldn't necessarily afford that. So that's really kind of like where this is headed is really more down the education space, getting a one, one physical location, being able to just turn out like um, an evolving curriculum that like just a better production quality. Cause that was one thing that's like, that that's not necessarily wrong with our injury or our industry rather, but like, you know, there's a lot of 4k bullshit out there right and you can hide some some technical inadequacies in high resolution and people are like you know you you jump cut it like you're watching a fucking episode of the kardashians and you have people's attention meanwhile there's some dusty kid with a with a tripod and a camera who's dishing out like incredible content so it's like how is it that we can start to switch like we can bring this 4k resolution to like high resolution information so that's kind of our, our goal moving forward go ahead Adam. no i think that's really exciting and um just in a sense of saying like the personal industry uh has been pretty flooded in the last couple of years that's for sure um like i myself i just took the canfit course but that was to get my foot in the door to have the opportunity to begin working with people. Um, and I don't want to knock CanFit or anything. It's been around for ages at this point, but um, not the best course. I will say that the information was not all it should be. Um, and something like Prescript, like I, I can already see just from what I've heard from it and what I've kind of got a taste of already that you would produce a lot better quality trainers than what I've seen in the last couple of years. That's yeah, the same for like what we have here in the States. Like you said, the NASA, the NSAM, it's like, it's kind of seen as a joke. Like you have to have it to work at a facility or at least like a, any corporate facility, but it doesn't, it doesn't speak to anything. Really. You just pass the test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we get questions a lot like, Oh, does your course count as continuing education for NASM? And like, it was honestly, it was something we considered. Uh, for a very, very, very short period of time, because like, I refuse to kiss the ring of the people that are making this industry worse and maligning yeah. the information that is making my job harder. So I was like, okay, how how can I build legitimacy outside of the brand? I was like, well, a get through really good coaches, like get through coaches that have like very high credentials and can think critically in situations. And, you know, I think just by exclusion criteria of like the stuff I put up on social media, I start to attract a little bit higher level. Like people all the time, like, oh, well, why are you making it so confusing? It's like, because your body is of no obligation to make sense to you. Please go elsewhere. Like there's, there's a guy out in Texas somewhere doing like bicep curls without any weight. Go follow that fucking jackass. All right. Like I don't have, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't care anymore. Like, and so it's setting that like, that like no compromise exclusion criteria brings people to the table that are just of higher caliber. And now it's like, look, I want to be able to offer these people something. So, uh, you know, in cutting through the red tape and figuring out how is it that we can ourselves become an entity that competes with NASM, with CanFit, with these things. That, so, so it's not just something that you have to do. It's something that uh, it can build value to your business and like, you know, yeah. be able to bring your clients results rather than just like, Oh, I have it just so I can, it's like, what the fuck is that? You, you paid money for, into this, into this system. That's not going to provide you any benefit. So that's long-term for us is like being recognized in that arena rather than just, you know, filling in and, 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 you know, 
nodding our head and saying yes and buying into the current system. Yeah. It's like, nah, there's a guy out there somewhere who will turn a key for us that'll allow us to be, you know, at a government level and an insurance level, have that certification be accredited next to NASM, NSCA, CANFIT and what have you. And when it comes down to that, it is you can then weed out the people that you don't, that don't necessarily have it. Let's just put it that way. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's not complicated to go and take the CanFit course. It really isn't. Um, but then once you take the course, it's up to the individual themselves to actually go and seek out better information to then make themselves a better coach, a better trainer. So people that are coming to you that are taking a prescript course, they're going out of their way to actually take that course because they want to take the course to better themselves. And they value the information. You know. Exactly. And then they're proud of the information. It's like if you go yeah. take public, I mean, CanFit or even NASA, like no one's proud of that. You're just like, yeah, I did it. I had to do it. It's not a, but if you're proud. And there's, of there's continuing education out there that takes two days to go through. You get a certification email to you. Hey, good job. Like it wasn't complicated to get through. It took you two days. You read a few things. You clicked a few buttons. It's not much. Though you get you get the fucking quote of the day with your body has no obligation to make any sense to you. I do feel like that. So that's that's not me. So that's actually uh, I'm a big like Neil deGrasse Tyson fan. So yeah. that's so he uses that to describe the universe. Like it's like the universe mm -hmm. is of no obligation to make sense to you. And I was like, well, that sounds awfully familiar. Like this is pretty much a paraphrase of what I say to people all the time. It's just he's way smarter. So I just stole that. So shout out no, shout out Neil deGrasse Tyson on that one. Shout out NDT. NDGT. Um, hey man, that, that's, but again, that speaks to, you know, again, speaks to any quality information and care of your craft. I mean, it's the same way with Neil deGrasse Tyson. He loves what he does and he, he has that uncompromising, you know, stance with it. And, you know, you have the, if you have the same too, I mean, and when you're like, no, we're not going to kiss the ring, but we will make something to make people better. because We believe we can. And that's, that's how you, that's how you get shit done. So. Fingers crossed. Fingers, fingers crossed. Yeah. Think, fingers crossed. I mean, I think you're well on your way. I mean, I've, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things and, and you know, Amber's told me that she's enjoying it so far. So I really hope it does. Cause I'd like to see, I mean, I was a trainer for four years and I had to stop because it didn't get me anywhere because it's, you know, and, and I tried to be, I mean, I would say that's a different thing, like as a guy in the state, especially California, like that's a marketing thing. But still, like I try to make myself as valuable as possible, but people don't give a shit about that. They want, you know, look. And because I didn't weigh 240 and was like, and <laughs> Jack as fuck, no one gave a shit. So, um, I mean, but then again, that's just, that's here. <laughs> it's a different thing altogether. But, but so to make people better and to give it more validity would be great yeah yeah and that's the thing like creating something that can supersede like like above all else like that's really gonna be um that's really what we're after like i mean long-term vision for this like like five ten years like either assimilating this into a sports science program at a university level so we can start to write degrees like guest lecture at enough universities and it's like oh goodness like regardless of the route people are going down like i i had to do the same thing like when i wrote national board exams to become a chiropractor in the u.s it was like i had to study for two tests i had to study for the the board exam and then i have to, had to study material i was going to use in practice it's like enough with the redundancy like 
to just have have a standard method of operation that's up to date. Um, so yeah, kind of like controlling the whole supply chain and building that because like it shouldn't be that like if you know I don't care how big my surgeon's arms are, right? And that if I could if I see he went to Johns Hopkins, it was like all right that carries weight, right? That carries weight over a bicep vein, and it should be the same thing, if not more, because personal trainers are going to affect more people's lives in the run of a year than a surgeon will. Yeah. Well, you would hope so. Um, I wanted to ask, just as like a, and it's a very general question, but just, you know, to kind of, like for powerlifting, to kind of almost, I guess, to give, kind of give a taste of like what, you know, how prescript is, or maybe like how you guys approach it. And then using powerlifting as an example, what are some like common things that you would like to see, like see addressed in terms of like a squat, you know, bench, like a competitive squat bench and deadlift? Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't, it's going to be a bit of a roundabout answer, but it's going to be uh, <laughs> very variability, and not variability in the sense of like safety squat to high bar. It's going to be variability in the sense of look, we need to be able to implement like a gold standard per the individual when you understand base principles of anatomy. Like everyone out there who's like a quote unquote strength coach and powerlifting has their way of teaching the squat. It's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like if you understand like variabilities in pelvis shape in male and female variabilities in, in Q angle, in structure, in like creating like a little bit of, of leeway or fluidity and what we call like a perfect technique. Cause I know people teach like a perfect technique for a bench press. And it's like, that's dumb. Like, unless that's, unless you're teaching an infinite number of techniques, you're not teaching a one per technique. You're teaching a technique that works for you. And your exclusion criteria, unfortunately, is just going to be the money in people's pockets and not, you know, the, the anthropometrics that are actually going to uh, decide whether or not that technique is going to work for someone else. Someone's going to have to buy your stupid system, implement it, realize, oh shit, I'm not the size and shape of this guy teaching it. So I think that was one thing I'd like to see powerlifters move away from, especially from a coaching standpoint, is if you understand the base principles, you understand how to manipulate them to fit that individual body type. Because powerlifting is so broad region. Like, go to a powerlifting meet. It is the weirdest distribution of size and shape individuals you've ever seen in your entire life. Like, I've seen a powerlifting meet is like waiting at the DMV with strong people. Kind of meets people of Walmart. Like, it's sort of a mix <laughs> of all three. So it's, it's, it's an inability to adapt in in the abstract right like to be able to look at like like i use the example of female lifters all the time like to tell a female to drive her knees out is to not be like empathetic of what it must feel like to have wider hips and, and a narrower trajectory of your knees right like for me to see a knee go out past the like the the plane of the ankle is like okay that's must be that's like me rolling my ankle in the level of abduction I need to create because of that inward trajectory. So that's one thing I, I like to see powerlifting rid of, and that's something that we teach a lot. Is like I got I'll teach like the biomechanics and the physics behind the lifts, and then give you kind of bookends. Like, look, here's here's an extreme wide grip bench. Here's an like a narrower grip bench. Here's where what when wide is too wide. Here's when narrow is too narrow. And here's how we set up relative body positions based off the individual. So when we look at someone who likes their hands here or their feet here, how you deconstruct their technique based off of this one point. Like you tell me like, hey, this person likes to have their feet way back. 
I'll tell you where their hand should go. I'll tell you how big their art should be. I'll tell you what the direction of the bar should be, the bar path, and what the direction of their leg drive should be. So I can construct a bench press technique from one, one point rather than like everyone getting wedged into the system shaped hole. It's like being able to adapt and, and be able to like for squat bench and deadlift. Like there's, there's so many variables at play and everyone just goes, no, you know, straight shin for the deadlift. It's like, but what if, what, what if you, your legs are different sizes? Like what if you have longer, like why would you, why would I do, why would I just load in my hamstrings when I have like these quads that also do, do quad things? Why would I do that? Or like, it has to be a straight bar path. It's like, well, what if I'm dealing with a guy who's 275 and he can't get into this circus freak arch? Like maybe you should have like maybe a J-shaped bar path would probably be better because he can't get that perpendicular counterforce into the bench to create a, or benefit from a vertical bar path. What about, what about that? Or like maybe we shouldn't put the bar so low behind the rear delts. I don't care what your stick figure drawing says because I have an SI joint and lumbar discs that say, uh, fuck you to your little stick figure and fuck you to your SI joints and, and intervertebral discs. What about that? So it's just about variability. I think that's like, if you don't understand the base principles, like you're just, you just have this one thing that works and you, you're not operating. They all make, I always make the example of like coding for a website. I have a few websites that I have to pay people to look after because fuck if I know what I'm doing. But like when I first started, I, I remember having these really like drag and drop things like I take a picture and I put it there and it blows up to the aspect ratio and it's like hey but it's like I'm not a software engineer I'm just a guy with the who know with a finger who can drag and drop but it's like I have friends that are software engineers I can write html and c++ and like out of like literally ones and zeros kind of make this website that should be the goal for coaches is to be that engineer to know, but that base level code is anatomy and biomechanics right those are our ones and zeros that allow us to put together movement put together those movements into programs uh, so if you don't have that, you're just dragging and dropping. And a lot of people are calling themselves software engineers that are just, or, or, or coaches or they're engineering programs, but really all they're doing is just dragging and dropping what's worked for them onto everyone else's experience in the gym. So that, I would say it would be like a fundamental thing, which makes the course difficult and it makes it kind of frustrating because it's not a system to follow. It's like a systems way of thinking about the body, which if you can get if you can get on board with that, then I think you'll be in a lot better place. But we had people like you know after a first not this semester thankfully, which is kind of strange because we have a big class. But last couple of semesters, there's been people who signed up and within the first week had emailed me and like, look, this is too over my head. I was like that's fine. And that's only the first week. So if you got lost the first week, like you don't have a hope or a prayer. Like all <laughs> this stuff is all this stuff is tangible. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not like we're splitting. All right, sports fans, that was the man, the myth, the almighty Mr. Jordan Shiloh, the muscle doc. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you learned something. Please reach out to Jordan. Check out RX Radio, the podcast. Check out Prescript and, you know, all that they have to offer. And really just follow Jordan. He's a wonderful guy, as you guys heard, hilarious and full of knowledge. So, as always, guys, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate the support. Please keep sharing. And catch you next time. This season uh, is coming to a close. We have a few more episodes before our final episode of the season. And uh, we're really excited about it. Honestly, I've just i been very fortunate to have you all and have Miss Amber. And for us just to keep this going, especially throughout this time at home, it's given me a creative outlet. And I'm really thankful for it. So, until next time, catch you on the flip side. I'm Nicholas. On behalf of Ms. Amber Dawn, this is 
the Nerds Who Live podcast. Thank you.